Amen, indeed. Thank you, worship team. And yes, our big kids, our grade four to six, are dismissed to their program this morning. I know Pastor Rebecca has some exciting things in store for you back there. But yes, team, thank you for leading us through to that place, Be Thou My Vision. That's, uh, that's a big idea. It's a big idea, God, consuming our thoughts and being the very purpose and foundation of what we're trying to do, what we're living for uh, and this morning, that's kind of what we're going to be exploring. That's what we're going to be exploring. I am really, really excited about this. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. This verse is absolutely huge this morning, and I'm so excited. I know last week was too, but that was also a big one. That was a really big one too. But this is, this is special. It's big. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. Turn with me this morning, Joshua chapter 5. We're going to read a small portion of this story of Joshua. We're going to look at a little bit bigger portion of it overall, but we're going to read uh, verses 10 to 15 this morning. Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 to 15, and we'll uh, get into a bunch of the details around this story, Uh, but this is is huge here. Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 to 15. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now Joshua was near Jericho, and he looked up, and he saw a man standing in front of him. With a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Who is in charge in your relationship with God? You or God? Whose plans are you pursuing? Yours? Or his? Who gets to say what is good, what is right, what is true? You or him? Are we following God or are we asking God to follow us? This morning we're going to be continuing to explore the reality that the God of eternity is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That his nature, his power, his purpose, his mission is the same. That his love, his grace, his justice, his holiness is the same. That his hope, his mercy, his his plan is the same from the very beginning. And today, and for all eternity, He is God, and He is good, 
And he is here. It's a huge idea. It's difficult really for us to even understand it because the world has changed so much and our minds and our experience is so small. The world of the Bible is so different from our own. The culture, the languages, the ways that they thought and lived are so foreign to us. I mean, we're talking about nomadic shepherds living in the desert some 4,000 years ago. City-states like Jericho with kings warring against each other almost annually in springtime when the kings went out to war, it says. They're warring for their pride and for their very survival. Brutal living conditions under Babylonian or Greek or Roman rule. Slavery and persecution and desolation. It's a hard world. It's a distant world. A confusing world. I mean, we have public schools and malls and police and hospitals. Unemployment insurance and the food bank and cars and Wi-Fi. Our experience is so different from theirs. We have hurts and struggles and difficulties too, of course, but it is very different. And yet, across all the ages, we still want much of the same things. Health and prosperity for our families, peace and happiness, we Laugh and talk and eat and work together. Community and relationship. As different as things are, people are still people. And God is still God. When we look at these stories that God has preserved for us, the stories of Adam and Noah, of Abraham and Moses, we can see ourselves in them. How he is walking with us as he did with them. Caring for us through their fears and their struggles, leading them and directing them, fulfilling his promises and proving himself faithful even when we can't see how it's all going to go. Last week we looked at the story of Moses about how Moses was invited into the very presence of God and the impact that it had on him and then on the people around him. The way he was changed and transformed by the power and the presence of God, even physically. And how people experienced God through him. And we asked if that was true of us too. Do people experience God when they are with us? If we are living with the Spirit, living in the Spirit, do people encounter God? When they're with us. And what would it look like if they did? But now this week we're going to go almost in the opposite direction. And see how God is reminding us of just who is actually in charge here. And how easy it is for us to get things backwards. To lose sight of the fact that God is God and we are not. 
God reveals himself in and through us by his spirit. We reflect him, but we are not God. We don't decide what is good. We don't define what is true. We don't determine what is best. God does. And we follow him. God has just led his people through the desert for 40 years they lived there. Because of their sin and their fear, their lack of faith, God had promised them this land for their home. But when they had looked, when they sent their spies in and they saw the strength of the cities and the armies there, they were afraid. They didn't trust God to lead them and protect them to accomplish what he had promised. And so God forbid that generation from ever setting foot in the promised land. They would all die in the desert. And the next generation would see the promise of God included, fulfilled, Moses included. He never got to set foot in the promised land either. And so they wandered year after year, decade after decade. Until finally it was time. And God leads them out. And Moses dies. Having looked at the promised land but never setting foot. And God appointed Joshua to become the new leader of the Israelites. And God affirmed his leadership for the people at the crossing of the Jordan River. Where the waters parted just as they had under Moses at the Red Sea. And the people passed through on dry ground. And already the people of the land begin to back away in fear from this nation that God was leading forward. The stories of God's power spread quickly and people were afraid of what God was doing. And on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover, remembering the judgment that God had brought on the Egyptians some 40 years earlier, their protection under the blood of the lambs on their doorposts, as God took the firstborn of every family in Egypt, but spared them from his wrath. The day after the Passover, That very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. They were there. After almost 600 years, God had promised this land to Abraham so long before, countless generations, and now they were here. A journey from Egypt that should have taken 11 days and instead lasted 40 years, they were here. God's people were here. And so the people of God begin to prepare. Joshua readies his armies. They knew this was coming. They knew they were going to take over this land. 
conquer the cities that were there, and they come to Jericho, a key city in the area. Militaristically, it was important for that whole area, and the gates are locked up tight. The people of Canaan have already heard what God had done at the Jordan River, and they knew this army was coming, but their city was strong, and their walls were high, and these people had just come out of the desert. They had no provisions, no support, no kingdom back home, sending resources. The people just had to wait them out. Watch them starve outside their walls. We are Jericho. We are strong. Our walls will protect us. But Joshua believed and he was preparing. He was drawing up battle plans and strategies, how they were going to attack this city, the things that they were going to do. God had promised them this land and God was going to lead them to victory and they were ready to go. And then, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. A spy? Not a very good one. A champion? Many times in ancient battles, each king would choose a champion to represent their kingdom and spare their armies the fight. We see this even in the story of David and Goliath. Who was this man? Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. What? Neither? What does he mean, neither? This is God's chosen people. This is the people of the promise, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How many times have we heard that phrase already? This is their God, and they are his people. I mean, remember everything they've been through. God spoke to Abraham, called him chosen. That this family would be the way that God would reveal himself to the world. God walked with Isaac and revealed himself to Jacob in a dream, reaffirming his promise to his grandfather that this land would be his. God walked with Jacob and he even physically wrestled with him used his son Joseph to save his people and lead them into Egypt to spare them from this famine. And God blessed them and made them incredibly prosperous there. And then God rescued them from the hand of Pharaoh, brought plagues and suffering on Egypt and rescued them from slavery. And he pillaged the Egyptians, the families, the women, gave the Israelites all kinds of gold and silver and jewelry on their way out to provide for his chosen people. He leads them to the Red Sea and through it, and he drowned one of the most powerful armies in the world behind them. God took them into the desert and revealed himself to them in a way no other people had ever experienced on Mount Sinai. He gave them his tablets with his very commands and his presence reflected off the face of Moses such that they were afraid to even look at him. He miraculously provided them food, manna, and quail in the desert. He saved them from disease. He conquered armies before them and all the time led them toward this land of promise. And they finally arrived there. Decades later, 
And they eat from this promised land that God had always told them they would. And the manna and quail stop. And they're about to conquer and receive all of the things that God has been promising them for generations. And Joshua sees this man and asks, are you for us or for our enemies? And the commander of the army of the Lord says, neither. This passage is absolutely enormous. God is not ours. We are His. We can never lose sight of the reality that God is always working for His purposes, not ours. He is building His kingdom, not ours. He is proclaiming His glory, not ours. That forever and always, everything is about Him. This is such a huge passage because it is so easy for us to turn things around, to get confused, to put ourselves at the center of God's story. And it's not even that we're just automatically being evil or something. It can be that we're trying to serve God, trying to help Him, trying to do good things. Even, I mean, as Joshua and the Israelites found, trying to do the things He had called them to do. And still... It wasn't about them. It was about God. And God is always doing something bigger than we understand. Certainly bigger than Joshua understood. Are you for us or for our enemies? Even in the question, Joshua reveals that he doesn't see things like God does. Because in his answer, God tells Joshua so much. It's fascinating here that God said, neither. Because you'd think he could just have easily said both. Are you for us or for our enemies? Both. But Joshua saw these people as his enemies, while God sees them as his beloved creation too. With that one word, God reveals to Joshua that his enemies are not God's enemies. That God did not see them like Joshua did. Joshua's enemies are God's creation too. And he loves them too. I am not for your enemies. I am for my creation. And here, even as the chosen people of God enter into this land that God has promised them after leading them through all of the incredible things that they've walked through, Joshua crashes into the truth. As God reminds him that he doesn't see things like we do. Like God says through Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Here. On the plains, right outside of Jericho, right before the fulfillment of what God had promised them so long ago, God gives his people a powerful reminder of just 
who he is and what he is doing. That his plans aren't about us. His heart is for everyone. That every single person has been created in his image and his deepest and most desperate desire is for them, whoever them is, to know him and love him too. We're so small. And we see things in such a limited way. As long as I'm comfortable and healthy, that means God is happy with me and I'm fine. My life, my family, my stuff, we get focused so narrowly, so easily. And it's understandable. Because we've got a lot going on. Raising my kids and doing my job and living my life takes a ton of time and energy and work. And caring for those things and working hard and living well within all that is important. It honors God for me to be loving and responsible and hardworking and servant-hearted. That's good. But that's not all God is doing. My life is not his sole purpose. Blessing me is not the fullness of his plan. His glory is his purpose. His kingdom is his plan. And he is inviting me, inviting us, inviting you to be a part of it. Not just working to make me happy and comfortable here. So what does this mean for us in our lives? In a world consumed with self-care and living my truth. Of defining things on our own terms. Determining what is good based on what we think, what we feel the world should be like. Does it mean we're just automatically doing everything wrong and everything I'm working for is a total waste? Should I just abandon it all and become a monk or something? No. God has given you a purpose and a mission, a ministry and a life. Your family, your community, the places he has planted you, they matter. God had given Joshua and his people a a purpose and a mission and he had something for them to do. And it was good. But we can never lose sight of the reality that God is working for things far beyond us. And he is inviting us to see that, to know that, to understand that he is God and we are not. That he is in charge and we follow yesterday, today, and forever. Are we truly seeking to follow God's plan? Or are we just asking Him to bless ours? This morning we come to a time of taking communion. And it's a powerful reminder of the reality and the incredible grace and mercy that God has for us because He understands that we don't understand, that we are not enough. That we don't get it. Philippians 2 tells us, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. 
but rather he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the point. That is is the end. That is God's plan. We'll invite our servers up this morning. God knows that we don't understand what he is doing, and so he sent Jesus as an example and as our salvation. And he showed us the depth of God's love. He paved the way for us to see God's purpose, his glory, and he's inviting us to join him there. This morning as we take communion, I invite you to reflect on that. To be thankful that God has provided a way and that in the life and sacrifice of Jesus, he reveals to us that he is doing something far beyond what we understand. More than we could ever hope for. Again, we have the elements here and we'll invite you to send someone from your family or a friend group on your behalf. Again, come as you feel led If you're not able to make your way here, uh, Ed Fuelbrandt would uh, love to serve you if you just wave him down. But as we spend this time this morning, let's reflect on the truth and reality, the profound nature of Jesus and what he has achieved for us. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning and we say thank you. We thank you for the work of your son. We thank you that you are bigger than us. And God, we ask you to forgive us when we lose sight of that, when we get stuck in our own life and our own thing, even the things you've asked us to do. God, when we lose sight that your plans are bigger than us, that you are working to save and redeem everyone, you want all to come before you, that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God, even in the small things you've invited us into, you invite us to remember and understand that there's more at stake. And to never forget that. That as we desire to reflect you to the people around us, God, that we don't even understand the impact that that can have. So we thank you. We thank you that you are gracious. We thank you that you are merciful. We thank you that you have saved us and that we can follow you. We invite you now to speak as we partake together in Jesus' name. Amen.